As we move through human history, there is this one constant. The kingdom of darkness opposes the kingdom of God. There are keys to understanding this as these two great themes of scripture advance in the earth. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Solon. I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Now, creation was established to produce the sons of God, a man in the image and likeness of Christ. That is the fruit of creation. When the earth is harvested, that is what God intends as His harvest of the earth. What about the rest of it? What about the rest of the earth? Well, first we must understand that the earth will bring forth, the earth has brought forth two types of harvest. One is a harvest of righteousness and peace and the other is described as a harvest of blood where mankind, humankind, are both victim and victimizer. And none of that is harvest uh, for the consumption of the Lord. And as we saw in the last message, the winepress of the wrath of God is the place where those grapes are crushed and where wine flowing out is is analogized to and is referenced as blood for the 1600 furlongs, four times four times a hundred, and poured out as waste. The continuation of this process of the destruction of the infrastructure of the beast and everything about it that polluted the earth continues. And and it's as though everything other than what is harvested by the, the body of Christ comes into sequential destruction. So that's, he begins that by the reference to another sign in heaven that was great and marvelous. Uh, One might even say terrifying. It begins in heaven. Seven angels, the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, over his, the number of his name, they were standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. The pavement on which God stands 
in his appearing to the elders of Israel is described as a pavement of sapphire, clear as the sky, an analogy to glass, and God setting a firmament in, in the heavens to separate between that which is above the firmament and that which is below the firmament. So we're looking then at the glorified, transcendent order of the saints. Although we are in the world, we are never of the world. And although our habitation for a time is here on the earth, the body of Christ is in heaven and on earth as well. And so one of the unfoldings or unveilings, whenever we see heaven, we typically will see the throne of God, we'll typically see a rainbow, we'll see concentric circles around the throne, four living creatures standing around the throne with the Lamb Himself upon the throne, a rainbow encircling the throne, 24 elders surrounding the throne, multitudes surrounding the throne, and an innumerable company of angels. So there are different scenes that are presented in heaven and they all seem to focus eventually on the Lamb and upon those who are the company that follow the Lamb. You see, heaven is not greater in the order of importance than the saints, than the people of God. Heaven and earth have their relevance in relationship to the saints. How they accommodate, whether in heaven or on the earth, the eternal purposes of God. So in truth there are three realms. There is the eternal and then there is heaven and then there is the earth. The earth is the lowest of the three realms. Even when heaven and earth pass away and the present heavens and the present earth pass away, are liquidated, the eternal remains. The eternal is the the fashion of God's presence, the manner in which God is present. God simply is and the eternal is the fashion of His being. I'm using words here very carefully rather than defining the eternal as the dwelling place of God, uh, because God dwells, there's there's no realm to accommodate God, but where God is, is described as the eternal, which from every indication is about what is in God, what is in God and what He puts on display within Himself. God is the parameter. God constitutes all the parameters of being, whether heaven, earth, or the eternal. But these realms serve a purpose. The eternal 
host the things of God as they are, as they've always been. That is why the word eon, A-I-O-N, eon, refers to the life that we have in God. And it's also the word eternal, eternal life, or even everlasting life. Because it's life that is described as age upon age or endless ages, as opposed to other renditions of the word eon, which may mean for an age or a thing that goes from the age, from one age to another. So seeing into heaven and seeing the people of God in heaven is part of this three-part way of viewing the purposes of God and the people of God. All these realms accommodate the people of God. The people of God in heaven are seen in an a less limited fashion as they would be seen on the earth. In the earth we are seen clothed upon by flesh and defined by the physical forms of our existence. In heaven we tend to be seen more as spiritual, we are viewed in Christ. And so the eternal the eternal references being in the Father. Now what is true about all three realms is that the the lesser realms, earth and heaven, are subsumed, they're contained within the greater realm, they're contained within the eternal. So heaven and earth are contained within God inasmuch as the eternal is contained within God. So the picture we see of the saints might vary depending on the realm in which we see the saints. So if we see the saints on the earth, we will generally be allowed to see them in a bodily form. If we see them in heaven, we are usually allowed to perceive of them as spirit spirit forms, kind of like what Jesus had when He was resurrected from the dead, visible, perhaps identifiable, but not in the same way as one might be visible and identifiable on the earth. On the earth we, we are sons or daughters, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, uh, fathers, mothers, and so on, grandfathers, grandmothers, and the like. We're known by our limitations of form. In heaven we're not, and in the eternal we're really only known in Christ. That's the remarkable thing, because each stage is a graduation up to a perfect manifestation. So the saints here are seen in heaven, another great sign P. 
appeared in heaven. And uh, one is immediately struck with the translucence of glass and the brightness of fire. Those things would not, if you, if you, if you imagined these things on earth, there would be certain practical, logistical, scientific um, things that would, wouldn't work here on the earth. So it's not real glass and it's not real fire, as, well, I shouldn't say not real, it's not glass and fire like we would see on the earth. But it would speak more of their standing, you know, their standing uh, on a sea of glass. So, so something uh, like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, they're standing on the sea of glass having the harps of God. What that would indicate to me is that they are they're viewed in a glorified form. You know, when, when Adam and Eve were upon the earth, they were not naked. They were clothed with the glory of God. And so when they discovered nakedness, it was because they had stepped out of this condition of glory in which they were supposed to exist, they were designed to exist, and stepped into a form that was recognizable, identifiable, and distinct from anything associated with God. Here we're seeing the saints in clearly a glorified posture of standing and in clearly a glorified form. Somewhat like we would assume uh, Adam and Eve had prior to their fall, fall, and as we may assume Christ had upon his ascension to the Father. So the fire may well be in the saints, visible in a translucent form, and the entire environment uh, would be a harmonious existence between saint or people of God, the flames of fire which indicate refinement, purity, form, uh, and glass which would indicate translucence. We saw something of that earlier when we began the discussion on the book of Revelation about the man standing above the water whose body was that of beryl. When Jesus returns uh, and speaks to John on the island of Patmos, we see something of these glorified forms that are normal for the realm of heaven. And I think that is what you're being shown here, the glorified nature of those who did not submit to and were not part of the entire 
kingdom of the beast and both in terms of its organization, function and its effects upon mankind. They did not participate in any way and were not tainted and corrupted but now are seen in heaven and in heaven standing as as it were in this glorified place and posture. Uh, and it's inter- I think the next line very much goes with that, which is they, have, they had the harps of God and they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now there are two references to the song of Moses and the Lamb. One is from Exodus the 15th chapter and the other is from Deuteronomy 32. Now in this, in the body of this text here in, uh, Revelation, in the book of Revelation, Mo- the song of Moses and the Lamb are essentially the same song. If you will recall earlier when the song of the Lamb was sung in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, 5 and 6, it's, you are worthy to receive honor and glory and praise, that was the song to the Lamb because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, tongue, language and nation and you formed them into a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So that was, that was the sentiment expressed in the song sung to the Lamb, adoring the Lamb. Now this song sung uh, about Moses, um, the song says, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is, who was and who is to come because you have judged these things for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Well Moses sang a similar song to God concerning Pharaoh and concerning the righteousness of God where Pharaoh is a type of Satan and the destruction of Pharaoh and and his armies in the Red Sea is a type of the destruction of the beast and those who followed the beast. And what is being attributed and ascribed to God is His righteousness in bringing judgment on the wicked. Pharaoh was the wicked back then um, and now uh, the beast is the wicked that personifies all of the reckless disregard for the things of God embodied in the rebellion of man. So here is a bit of the song of Moses from Exodus 15. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke saying, I will sing to the Lord 
for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is God, and I will praise him. My Father is God, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths covered them, and so on. And then a bit from Deuteronomy 32. Give ear, O heavens, Moses sings, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teachings drop as the rain, my speech distill as dew. As raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock, he is perfect, for all his ways are just, and God, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Uh, they have corrupted themselves, they are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who, has brought, uh, who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? And so on. Again, the, 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 the spoken thing here is about the justice of God. You see, when God acts, all his actions are just. Every time, whether it was with Pharaoh and Egypt, um, whether it was uh, the destruction of Babylon, uh, now whether it is the destruction of the beast. When it comes to it, this can be said of the Lord every time. Even though he's patient, even though he's long-suffering, make no mistake, the righteousness of God demands that the justice of God come to the wicked to separate between that which is of God and that which is not. And that's what's going on here. As this level of judgment begins to unfold, Again, I point out, this is not the great white throne judgment that comes at the end of the millennium. But as the age is concluding and the character of the age is brought into judgment, the disintegration of systems on which mankind has relied, the, the judgment on the cosmocrator and his, his creations, result in untold loss and mind-numbing uh, sufferings. And so the question is, is this consistent with a loving God? And the answer is, this loving God we know 
is also a God of astonishing clarity of judgments, that He is just. And so, again the song, O Lord, the one who is, who was, and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets. So it enumerates or it, it speaks to part of the transgression and wickedness that is being judged. They, they shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their due. That is the blood of grapes, so to speak, uh, that in the previous chapter ran for 1,600 furlongs. And I heard another voice, another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, even so, even though you've given them blood to drink, it's their due. They, they've shed the blood of the saints and the prophets and so on. Even though that's all true, even so, Lord God Almighty, true, as terrifying as your judgments are, as total and encompassing and inescapable as they are, as voluminous and uh, incredible uh, in a way that defies the imagination to grasp. Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Now, this is an announcement just as the first angel is pouring out the bowls of the wrath of God. And as each angel pours out, when three have done so, and the first pours out and the foul and loathsome uh, sore uh, occurs, um, and, and the second, uh, you know, the blood of men is dead, the third as springs of water, and so on. The fourth, uh, men were scorched with fire. As all of that, the, the song of the Lord is still the appropriate song. The song of Moses is still the appropriate song. So I went over into the 16th chapter to connect with this because that's where we're going after our readings here. Uh, it's the same song is my point. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of the Lord, verse 3 of Revelation 15. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord, just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. You shall not who shall not fear you, O Lord, and magnify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been, made, have been manifested. And with that announcement, the judgments of God are about to come. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, 
and out of the temple came seven angels having the seven plagues, clothed in bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke for the glory of God and from His power, from the glory of God and from His power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were complete. So now the final pourings out are about to happen and we'll follow them as we go forward in the study of the 16th chapter. I'm Sam Solon. Join me as we continue. Thank you. Bye-bye.